0: From Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News, where we were way too busy to run a Twitter parody account on the side. It's extra credit. Your weekly podcast, looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richards, and I'm Clark Corbin. So we're both we're both dog owners here, Clark and I. And, and I'm going to start with this is going to be like a shaggy dog story, beginning to a podcast. But so my dogs wake up at like two thirty in the morning sometimes because they think that's a great time for breakfast and. That was what happened wednesday morning and as i was doing that i checked my email and there was an email from reclaim idaho about um their plans for the 2020 election and even in the two thirty a.m kind of sleep deprivation haze i could realize this is a big deal this is going to be a really interesting story to watch unfold these next uh, few months perhaps into the november 2020 election so let's start there let's talk a little bit about this let's talk about I mean, I guess we need to talk about who Reclaim Idaho
1: is and why that name is familiar uh, to a lot of Idahoans and what they've done in the past with the ballot initiative. Uh, But what happened, Kevin, is, as you reported earlier this week, they filed paperwork with the Secretary of State's office uh, going for a new ballot initiative. This one would be targeting additional funding for public education. But who is Reclaim Idaho? What are they looking at, and what are the hurdles and what needs to happen?
0: Right. So the backstory on Reclaim Idaho is this is the group that was the driving force behind the Medicaid expansion initiative. This was the group that got that question on the ballot and ultimately got the uh, initiative through. As you recall, in November of 2018, the Medicaid expansion initiative passed and passed Easily, yeah, with a sixty-one percent majority statewide. It did better than any
1: statewide candidate. More votes than than Governor Little received on his big day.
0: Very popular with Idahoans all across the state. So now Reclaim Idaho is pushing an initiative that would focus on education funding. The mechanics are pretty straightforward. What the group wants to do is create a new tax structure, uh, a new a new tax bracket in. Personal income taxes. So, for individuals who make $250,000 a year or uh, couples making $500,000 a year, they would come in at a new and higher tax bracket than they are now. It would be three percentage points higher than what they're paying right now. The initiative would also increase the corporate income tax rate, it would go up by a little bit more than one percentage point, it would go back to 8%. The contention that Reclaim Idaho is making is that this is a a tax, especially with the corporate tax, that it's going to affect largely out-of-state businesses. At any rate, the two new tax rates would bring in somewhere around $170 million a year. What the initiative calls for doing with that money is putting it into a fund that would be earmarked for education projects. And from there, it gets a little bit more uh, fluid. The money could be used for anything from all-day kindergarten to teacher salaries to classroom supplies to hiring teachers to try to keep class sizes down to career technical programs. So there's a whole menu of options where that money would go, but it would be a dedicated account of about $170 million or or thereabouts per year for K-12 initiatives.
1: Now, let's be clear about where things stand now. They have filed the paperwork with the state, but that doesn't mean this is going to be on the November ballot. They have, as you reported, a number of hurdles to reach. What, what would need to happen, and,
0: and what are they facing to get this before voters? Well, you're looking at the same kind of ground rules, uh, and it's a difficult process to get an initiative through. I mean, notwithstanding the attempts that the legislature made to change the initiative law, Attempts that were ultimately vetoed by Governor Hill. That's right, yeah, yeah, vetoed, yeah. Even by the old rules, the rules that um, governed the Medicaid initiative, this is still a difficult process. You still need to get 55,000 signatures from voters across the state. You still have to get, uh, you still have to hit minimum signature counts in 18 of the 35 legislative districts. So no, you can't just camp out at the post office in Boise and get 55,000 signatures, you do have to fan out around the state. Once you get an initiative on the ballot, then you have to get the initiative passed. And that only requires a simple majority. But you know, as we've seen in the past, well, we saw in 2018, voter initiatives don't always pass. Yeah, As we saw with uh, Prop 1, the historical horse racing initiative from 2018, which failed. So it's a two-step process. It's a it's not an easy process getting an initiative through. There have not been that many that have been been passed in the history of the, state. the, history of the state. So this is not an easy proposition. And I would suspect this one is going to be a more controversial and more contentious initiative, even than Medicaid expansion. I, I just sense that there's going to be a little bit more backlash to this proposal.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask you, like, early on, handicap this on a scale of
0: 1 to 10. How much is the Republican-controlled legislature going to love this initiative? And that's and that's an active question. I mean, we're seeing it right now with the Medicaid expansion. The implementation of Medicaid expansion has been a complicated issue. And you know, you've had the work requirement legislation that went through. You have the state going through this process of trying to get waivers for changes in the Medicaid rules. Just getting an initiative passed does not mean that the initiative goes into effect as written. What the legislature would do if this, uh, if this were to pass in 2020 is anybody's guess. But even in the run up to that, I go back to the 2018 campaign over Medicaid expansion. And we didn't follow it as closely as we will follow this initiative. But pretty clearly, one thing Reclaim Idaho did on the Medicaid expansion was, once they got the initiative on the ballot, they put together a pretty sound coalition of groups that supported the initiative. And not necessarily groups that you would expect to see supporting a Medicaid expansion initiative. I'm thinking about the Idaho School Boards Association and the Idaho Education Association, among others, but two education groups that came out in favor of the Medicaid expansion saying that this is an important issue. This is going to help, you know, children with their health and welfare as they go into into the classroom. It's going to be harder to put together a coalition, I think, on a an initiative that is going to raise corporate taxes and personal income taxes. Medicaid expansion, the opposition was pretty much the Idaho Freedom Foundation. Yeah. This time around, uh, I would imagine the Freedom Foundation is going to be opposed. Uh, they already uh, criticized the, the measure this week. But I... Be really interested to see what business groups and corporate uh, lobbyists uh, deal with this kind of an initiative. Where does IACI come down on an initiative like this? Where do corporate, um, you know, corporate entities like Micron or Simplot or, or HP come down on this? Where does a group like Idaho Business for Education come down on this? And and where do their members come down? I guess is, is yeah. an extension of where does IBE come down? Where do members come down? Because here you're talking about CEOs from across the state who have a stated interest in investing in education, but also would have a uh, financial stake in what happens with the corporate income tax rate. Really fascinating politics, if it gets to that point. And coming against, certainly, a legislative
1: backdrop where, in recent years, the legislature has worked to reduce, to cut income taxes, to cut corporate taxes. That's been one of the stated goals. Um, But it's also bumping up against increased talk of uh, potential recession coming in the next Three years, uh, scarcity of state resources and revenues. It, it, an interesting time, but certainly the legislative backdrop is the legislature and uh, our previous governor worked a
0: concerted effort to reduce income taxes, reduce corporate taxes, right. saying that it needed to make the state more competitive. Right, and you need only go back to 2018 when the legislature did reduce income tax rates yep. across the board. And you still have- legislators, including, and, and certainly not limited to, Mike Moyle, the House Majority Leader, who has said repeatedly he believes the income tax rates are too high. And he, I think he speaks for a fairly high number of legislators you know, in both the House and the Senate. I think there's still a lot of sentiment about trying to make further incremental reductions in the income tax rate. Now you have an initiative that would increase some of those income tax rates. So there's going to be a direct tension between uh, those two schools of thought. I like to go back to the former
1: poet laureate of the Idaho legislature, uh, (laughs) former... Lenore
0: Hardy Barrett? Lenore Hardy Barrett. you said poet laureate, I I was
1: thinking of Lenore, I guess. For some reason, Joanne Wood popped in my mind. But yeah, Lenore Barrett, always a good time for a tax cut. And that's sort of the mentality of a lot of members of the Idaho House, especially, right? And then that's where tax initiatives start is the the Idaho House. But yeah, Lenore Barrett, um, a highly quotable former legislator, but always a good time for a tax cut. And that's sort of the default position
0: of the Idaho legislature um, in a lot of ways, right? Right. I mean, and and I don't think that that's uh, changed since uh, Barrett left office. I I think that uh, when Mike Moyle talks about, trying to reduce this income tax rate further. I think he speaks for a sizable segment of the legislature, and, and I think uh, he speaks uh, a sentiment that you hear from the business community. I mean, you know, I'll single out one business entity just to give you a sense of you know, the tension uh, on something like a Reclaim Idaho initiative. I think about the, the Boise Metro Chamber of Commerce. Every year, the, the chamber comes out with its legislative agenda, and every year, two planks of that agenda are investment in education, but income tax relief. Yeah. What this initiative could wind up doing is it's going to force uh, folks to pick a lane you know, between investing in education, which is what the initiative calls for, and reducing income tax rates, which is the direct opposite of what the initiative calls for. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this initiative and if this winds up on the ballot and if this is something that's going to be voted on in the fall of 2020. This could be a really uh, interesting and could be a very expensive campaign. I mean, you, you could definitely see advertising on both sides of this issue
1: uh, fall of 2020 lest we forget going to be a big election notwithstanding probably high degree of turnout I would assume
0: presidential election year and that tends to skew conservatives so that you know is uh, that's going to be a headwind Obviously uh, every for, legislator will be up for re-election uh, but also potentially a very busy year on the initiative front this isn't not the only initiative that's in the works right now uh, there are signature gatherers working on a minimum wage. Initiative and a medical marijuana initiative. I mean if you had any combination of those three initiatives on the ballot What does that do for voter turnout? Does that get a different? uh, cohort of voters coming out to the polls that may or may not vote necessarily if not for an issue like Education funding or medical marijuana or the minimum wage. So a lot of variables at play, but um, you know, You can see already that this is going to be a a big topic and a big talking point as we go forward into uh, the initiative process and potentially into the 2020 elections. We're obviously at the very
1: beginning of this process, so we'll continue to follow it, follow the signature gathering process, report on how that goes and the progress. Uh, that they make. If you want to get caught up on the initial announcement, the initial story from the paperwork filing, and go back over sort of where things stand and, and the thresholds for getting this on the ballot, uh, head over to the homepage, IdahoEdNews.org,
0: look for Kevin's story uh, from midweek, uh, Right, and under, continue mid-week, to follow right. it. It's under my blog. Uh, I have a full story there. also have a link to the initiative so you can see the language for, for yourself. But that wasn't even the only story that we had uh, break after hours Tuesday heading into Wednesday morning.
1: No, and we're still talking about education funding. So let's talk about uh, the budget request for the upcoming budget year that Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ybarra put forward. Uh, There's one big ticket item in there, Kevin, but uh, you got the request. You wrote it up. What's she asking for and what stands out initially uh, at this very
0: early juncture to you? In some ways what she's asking for is kind of a hold the line in a lot of areas. Um, the raw numbers, her budget request for 2020-2021, right. <laughs> the budget year that begins on July 1st, 2020. Yeah. That's the easiest way to put it. It's about a $100 million increase. It would bring uh, the K-12 budget to just under $2 billion. It comes to a 5.3% increase. The big increase the big proposal uh, that accounts for much of that uh, spending increase is uh, pay for veteran teachers. Uh, Ivara is talking about trying to put another $40 million into what would be a new installment of the career ladder. In this case, a career ladder focused on veteran teacher pay. And that's something that we've heard a lot about this summer, and
1: really since the end of the last legislative session, uh, that is a discussion point that the task force is looking at right now. It has not issued final recommendations. It appears the task force may go that route. Uh, but this, this retention and recruitment piece, uh, especially as it relates to veteran teachers, has been a talking point that's gained momentum over the last, certainly the last year, as some people get a sense that, okay, we helped out with the increase at the minimum salary and at the bottom levels of the career
0: ladder. Now let's look at our veteran teachers. That's certainly something we've heard a lot about. A a growing sentiment that we're hearing as uh, Governor Little's education task force continues its work and and as a member of that task force, a a growing, um, almost a consensus around the idea that while the career ladder did help with beginning salaries and did help uh, with teachers who are maybe a couple or a few years into their career, it really didn't put much money into veteran teacher pay. And it didn't make good on the recommendation from Governor Otter's education task force from 2013, talking about a $60,000 maximum salary that the legislature never implemented. So I think that there is a critical mass right now in the education community about doing something in terms of veteran teacher salaries. The question is whether that money is going to be there. State revenues, right, and and that's become an increasing issue this summer.
1: Uh, We've had legislators weigh in. We've had the task force weigh in. There have been questions about the revenue situation, uh, what it's going to look like next year. But the career ladder, I I think the important point here about the veteran teachers is after next year, salaries are really going to be compressed from $40,000 at the minimum level to $50,000 at the top end with what the state pays out to school district. Obviously, it gets a little complicated in that
0: districts can put more money into uh, teacher salaries it's but negotiated a word of it. at the local level every year but they've got to find it because they're not getting the money right. from the right but state.
1: the state pays out just forty to fifty thousand dollars from the most rookie first year teacher all the way to the veterans and so they are talking about what if we bumped it up to 60 on the top end what can we do to take care of our veteran educators Um, So that's certainly a discussion point. A couple other line items, though, in the superintendent's budget that you noticed, just real quickly. Yeah, let's talk
0: about the line items, and then let's maybe talk about the the big picture fiscal realities here. So a couple of other line items that jumped out at me. Um, Ibarra wants to put a million dollars into uh, training for staff to identify and work with students who are dealing with social-emotional issues. Um, This is, you know... It is a school safety issue, it and is, absolutely. and that's how Abara is couching it in her budget request. There is no big school security initiative in this year's budget, unlike the previous year. So the $1 million in training to deal with social-emotional issues it is the school safety component of this budget. Abara is also talking about trying to get a $500,000 increase in funding for mastery-based education. This has been a... a Priority of hers for several years, uh, she did get the legislature to increase the to eliminate the cap on pilot schools in the mastery program. But the legislature didn't put more money into the transition to mastery-based right. education. So now Abar is coming back again with a budget request to try to put more money into mastery-based education. These are small line items. I mean, we're talking a million dollars for social-emotional uh, training. We're talking about five hundred thousand dollars increase for mastery. These aren't big ticket items. The veteran teacher pay component is a big ticket item, and I just have to wonder. And I'm not the only one who's asking this question because it, it's it, it, this is also one of those prevailing sentiments that we're hearing: is the money going to be there?
1: No, because we're talking. About, I mean, one of the things the task force is talking about is shoring up the state's rainy day savings account in the event of a recession to help w- weather a storm to help soften any blows but so you talked about what's in superintendent Ibarra's budget request let's talk about some things that maybe aren't in the superintendent's budget requests that were big discussion point items of late is there anything in there for literacy which early literacy which is one of the governor's focal points and appears to be the predominant focal point of the task force and uh, Well, let's start there. Is there anything in there for literacy
0: that's new and different? Not new or different. The line item on literacy is the same as what was funded this year, so a little bit above $26 million. But it's important to note that on that, and really on anything else in this budget, Ibarra is reserving the right to come back with a revised budget based on whatever comes out of the task force recommendations. And remember, the task force is at least talking about a recommendation towards all-day kindergarten which could be a... Is multiple, it going to be free? <laughs> going to be free. It could be tens of millions of dollars to roll out an all-day kindergarten program. That's so, not in there yet. That's not in the budget. There's no increase for literacy spending. But we'll see what comes out of the task force recommendations and in turn what, uh, what Ibara does with her budget recommendation based on the task force's work.
1: What about one of the big issues from the last three years, the school funding formula? Is there anything new and different about the school funding formula, or is there any money she would ask to set aside to hold districts harmless? That's a term we heard last year in the event of a transition to a new funding formula.
0: No, and I think that's another big variable that isn't in this budget, because right now there is no school, no new school funding formula, so there really is no money set aside. That's a big question coming into this budget, and even if you don't do a rewrite of the school funding formula, big questions about whether you can fund an extension of the career ladder or all-day kindergarten. One of the things that Barbara tried to do on Wednesday, well, on Tuesday when she... Tuesday at five ten p.m. Yes, after hours on Tuesday when, when she did release a, a statement on her budget request that she submitted last week, she talked about how, for the past five years, the state has increased K-12 spending by at least $100 million per year. And that's true. Um, and that's true that in her five years in office, We've seen those increases of at least a hundred million dollars a year. It it's true, it is true. and it's true that that's happened every year since uh, Governor Otter's task force did its work back in 2013. But but here's the thing, and and I think it's a much tougher budget year for a lot of different reasons, uh, and we've written about some of these. Revenues are not coming in as expected. The state doesn't have as much of a cushion to to weather the storm if if. revenues continue right we spent
1: down sort of unexpectedly
0: at least unexpectedly to me i don't want to say that it was
1: unexpected to everybody but the state spent down quietly about 30 million dollars plus out of its education savings account over the last year to cover unmet needs for things basically like enrollment increases and advanced opportunities programs and so what once was and i'm going to go ballpark here and this is dangerous what once was maybe about a 90 million dollar Education savings account dropped down to about $60 million. We spent $30 million down um, at a time when we're not going through a recession.
0: And so that's interesting to me. And and the overall budget reserves are going to be less than were expected when the legislature left town because revenues are not keeping up with, uh, with projections. So this is a much tighter budget going into the 2020 legislative session than we've seen in recent years. So I think it's an open question about whether. The legislature is going to be in a position to put another $100 million into K-12 based on the revenues that are coming in, based on the current tax structure, and with a backdrop of a lot of other variables in this budget. Uh, You know, how you roll out Medicaid expansion and what kind of impact that has on the state budget. You know, tax policy. Do you try to do something in terms of tax policy like the income tax uh, reductions that you know, you saw in 2018, you try to take a run at the grocery yeah. tax repeal, which right now that's an $80 million hit in the budget. And you know, some question about whether the legislature would have the money for that as well. So lots of, lots of pressure on this budget and very finite resources. So a hundred million dollar increase, while it's certainly not unprecedented, it's an ambitious request in this budget climate. $100 million increase is a pretty ambitious uh, request.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Obviously, I think the superintendent is in a little bit of an awkward timing position. It has nothing to do with her and is no fault of her own. Uh, the budgets requests are expected to be delivered to the state September 1st. That's an annual thing. The task force is still working. Uh, I don't think we'll see recommendations before October 1st. And so it's kind of a tight timeline time, time uh, before the next legislative session. Obviously, the superintendent is a member of the task force, has a general idea of where things are going. I see several of her deputies at every task force meeting, and so I know they're well-versed on what's going on. But that timing is, is probably not ideal, and that's something that is beyond the superintendent's control. She may reserve the right. Uh, to edit or modify her budget request when the recommendations do come in.
0: We'll be on the lookout for that. But. And a lot of mileposts to keep in mind here. Um, as we mentioned, the task force recommendations do sometime this fall in that October-November timetable. Then we'll see if Super Nana Debar comes back with a revised budget yeah. request between November and January. Beginning of the session in January, Governor Little comes out with his budget recommendations, really set the tone. which will set the tone for the session. Then, late in January, you'll see Superintendent Navarra before uh, the legislature's a budget big committee, day every year. making her uh, presentation based on her budget recommendations. And then, then, we're into February or March when the legislature does set a budget. So, lots of steps in this process. This is just the first step.
1: Yeah, that's like reasons 171 through 179 of why it will be a busy, important, perhaps divisive legislative session yes, in 2020. Yes, we've been talking about that. Uh, we've been talking about that since the rulemaking <laughs> fiasco at the end of the 2019 legislative session, and so just more evidence of why this will be an important, um, maybe a little bit wild legislative session. But stay tuned. If you want to get caught up on the budget request, head over to idahoednews.org. Uh, You can find out what's in there. You can learn a little history of the budget and get some reaction. Uh, It was a little bit muted reaction, but it's still very early. One more big story to talk about. I think we're on a roll. Let's keep talking about education dollars, but let's narrow the focus to the master educator premiums, which are a brand new, I want to say salary incentive, designed to reward the state's rock star teachers, the best and the brightest and the longest serving
0: teachers more than a 1,000 teachers are waiting to get word. Yeah. What's the update? Well, we know this is of interest to at least 1,400 teachers around the state directly because they, they applied for a share of this Master Educator premium, this $4,000 a year uh, bonus uh, for high-performing teachers. September 1st was the state board's target date to make these awards. That didn't happen the board is now saying that it needs a little bit more time to review some of these applications, to send some of the applications to a a third reviewer, to, you know, get get another opinion, get basically a tie-breaking opinion on some of these applications. Um, So now we're hearing that it's going to be more like mid-September before teachers get word about whether they're going to get, uh, you know, get a share of this funding. We'll keep you posted as as things uh, develop on this because we know there's a lot of interest uh, with educators. But, you know, I think it's, again, this has been a a fairly rocky rollout. And and maybe that happens with any first-year program. There are going to be some hiccups along the way. Um, You know, there was a lot of angst about the application process, how long it took some teachers to fill out a portfolio. We were hearing some teachers saying that it took 120 hours to fill out the paperwork and submit an application. There have been delays in getting the applications to the veteran teachers who are, who are grading their colleagues, uh, and determine whether they're, uh, eligible for a, a premium. We're now hearing that, uh, there are about maybe 300 applications where, uh, two veteran teachers looked at their, their colleagues work and couldn't agree. One recommended a premium, one did not recommend a premium. So now you've got to send it to a third reviewer who will in effect break the tie. So that takes time. So a lot of a lot of process here that hasn't gone as smoothly as maybe folks in the state board and folks in the education community would have wanted to to see so we'll, we'll get the results hopefully in the next uh, few weeks uh, maybe the next week or so get a sense of how many teachers get a share of this funding we'll keep you posted but really going to be interesting to see what happens with the, this program going forward um, if this is a program that the legislature wants to continue with, or do they go a different direction in terms of, again, trying to reward veteran teachers? Yeah,
1: I expect a lengthy conversation once we know more about how much is awarded and who receives the premiums, the salary incentives, the $4,000 a year. I expect a robust discussion uh, looking at the applicant pool, looking at the people who receive it, and a discussion about whether this program is filling the needs that the state legislature and the state board hoped it would fill, uh, which is incentivizing and rewarding the best and brightest high-performing teachers. Some criticism earlier this summer from the co-chair of the task force saying that he would not, in a business environment, ask his highest performing people to spend a lot of time putting in a request, an application for a reward. He said that's not how things work in the corporate world. Uh, There's been some legislators who have been frustrated. Uh, News came out that approximately half of the applicants came from two school districts, Mm -hmm. the two largest, West Ada and Boise. Um, And that is going to irk some legislators for sure. So we'll see. Uh, I know that 1,400 people are waiting for the news. I know that they spent a lot of their summer and a lot of their spring putting these applications together. We're very well aware of that. I know the state board is very well aware of that. Uh, And we'll continue to ask for the latest, and just as soon as we know more about when the news will be delivered and the premiums will be awarded, uh, we'll report it. So um, two places to watch if you want to get the news right away. Um, uh, They will be contacting, obviously, the people who receive the premiums, but if if you're looking for the news, the homepage, IdahoEdNews.org, or on Twitter, at IdahoEdNews, are the two places uh, next week or over the next two weeks, uh, where if there's any updates, we'll post the news.
0: Yes, we will keep you posted. And that's just one in a bunch of things we'll be watching for in the next week or so, including the uh, the K-12 task force, Gets Back to Work. Gets Back
1: to Work uh, next Friday on the 13th, I want to say. I've sat down with Dr. Sharon Ribery, the new superintendent of the Middleton School District, talked to her, um, have an article coming out next week about an introduction to her, her background in education, a little bit about how she will approach the job in this district, which is still a divided community following recent... Failed efforts to recall three school board trustees, they've had a couple bond issues fail, there was a Halloween costume controversy uh, just less than a year ago. Uh, A divided community, uh, a difficult job, Uh, but I sat down and talked to Dr. Reberry and I think that'll be uh, an interesting story that will come out the uh, first part of next week. End of next week, I'll transition over and follow the task force.
0: Task force meeting on Friday the 13th. Uh, Uh, Certainly a good omen. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong, right? (laughs) But we'll be there, and we'll have full coverage of that, and we'll have full coverage of anything that breaks in education policy and education politics, and if uh, this week is any indication, something will happen. But yeah, we'll be back and next week. It may happen any time of the day. Yeah.
1: Who knows? We'll be back next week with another edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. We always have a lot of fun breaking down this complicated intersection of education policy education politics. My apologies, I can't believe I forgot Lenore Barrett's name when I was on the spot there. Uh, it's hard I think, to
0: forget out Lenore Barrett. She made an impression. Yeah, L- lots is. of stories we could tell about Lenore Barrett. She but,
1: certainly you know. did. Anyway, my apologies about that. I put myself on the spot and caved, but thanks for bailing me out. Anyways, we'll be back next week. Um, you can give us a follow on Twitter, at Idaho. It is where we break our big stories in life week meetings. Thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.